excited to continue our series on typecast this morning with looking at the victim. In those Rocky movies, it's interesting that they take place 24 years apart, and yet he's dealing with an issue of victimhood by somebody in his life. And then back in Rocky Three, it was his brother-in-law, Paulie, who is always playing the victim, and he, everybody always owes him something. It's Rocky's fault that's always keeping him down. And then you fast forward 24 years, and by the way, did you notice who was coming out of the door talking to him? That was Polly right there, just right there. And where's Polly now? Now he's got the job, and now he's doing some of his life. He's always thinking about what can I do to take action and make something of myself, and he's always thinking, always working. But now who's playing the role of a victim? Now it's his son who's back in the same thing. It's because of what you're doing. My life is, is you're keeping me down. You're, you're the reason why I'm having problems. Everything is always somebody else's fault, somebody else's uh, responsibility, somebody else is to blame. That's the role of a victim, which we'll be talking about this morning. Uh, I kind of start off last week giving an overview in that everybody faces adversity. Everywhere in your life, you're going to be facing adversity. Jesus said it very well over in uh, John 16:33. In this life, you will have trouble. And then he goes on to say, but behold, I've overcome the world. Uh, God's desire for you and for me is that we would be able to overcome the adversities we face in this world, that we would do that through having a loving relationship with him that we'll ultimately get to enjoy for all eternity, that we would also come alongside others and help them in the same way that we've been helped, that we would play the role of a hero or a guide in our life. However, our sinful nature, our sinful tendencies, the sort of natural drift of our humanity will push us towards the role of either the victim or, as we'll look at next week, the villain. And the victim, uh, to kind of give a working definition of it this morning, uh, this is a little bit meaty, but hopefully I'll talk slow enough that you can get it. Uh, It says, victim mentality is a state in which we feel sorry for ourselves, always having a personal pity party, where we continually see ourselves as a victim of other people or circumstances, which leads to a desire to get attention and sympathy from other people while avoiding responsibility. I'll say that one more time. It's a state in which we're always feeling sorry for ourselves, having our personal pity party, where we continually see ourselves as a victim of other people or circumstances, which leads to a desire to get attention or sympathy from other people while avoiding responsibility. But before I get too much further into this topic, I want to give a sort of disclaimer, if you will, or a a distinction before I get too much further into this, and that is there's a difference between somebody with a victim mentality and somebody who is a victim. Uh, and I, I want to make that distinction so it doesn't go to a place of victim shaming or victim blaming. When somebody is a victim, um, this is somebody who is suffering because of another person's sin, and they are in a situation where there's nothing they can do about it. Uh, they're It is not their fault they're in that situation. It is not their responsibility for being in that situation. They are legitimately a victim. They're in a state where they are vulnerable or threatened. And while you may on the outside looking in say, well, why don't they just do something about it? They may be in a situation where they can't do something about it. They may be in a situation where they would be in grave risk if they tried to do something about it. And in order for them to break out of that, Yes, it will take a lot of bravery if it's possible, and oftentimes will take help to break out of that situation. And it's hard for us from the outside looking in when somebody is really going through a legitimate place of being a victim to be able to make a judgment call on their life as to what they should do, ought to do, or be able to do. So just want to make that clear. Also, if you are a victim, I want to make sure I'm saying it's not your fault and it's not your responsibility what's happening to you right now. So what is the difference between this and what we're talking about this morning? Um, I, I would, for that, I would probably go to what we often call as a serenity prayer. God, grant me the, 
the ability to change the things I can, to accept the things I can't change, and the wisdom to know the difference. That little third part there, the wisdom to know the difference, is the hardest part of the serenity prayer, right? Uh, somebody who's playing, you know, who is, is playing the role of a victim is somebody who has the ability to do something about their situation but has chosen not to. That's the biggest distinguishing difference what I'm talking about this morning. Somebody who is a victim is in a place where they can't do anything about the situation that they're in. They are a refugee in a war-torn country, and they cannot get out, and there's no place for them to go. They are a victim. And looking at them going, well, you shouldn't have been there in the first place. How insensitive and moronic can you be to say something like that to somebody in that situation, right? So that's, a, you know, of course, a global example. There's also more domestic examples as well, but... That's very different than the person who literally can do something about their situation, where they sit around and say, well, you know, I, I lost my job six months ago, and I haven't filed for unemployment, and I haven't bothered looking for a new job, but you know, life sure is hard, and now here we are a year later, I can't pay rent. I'm just a victim. You may have been a victim a year ago, however, over the past year, at some point, you went from being a victim of whatever happened in your office place to playing the victim where you decided you have no responsibility in this, you have no ownership in this, you can't do anything about it. So that's really what I'm talking about this morning. And so if your mind, if you go someplace where you want to look back at me and go, but I'm not talking about you. But once again, here's also the hard part. It's really hard to see in yourself when you're playing the role of victim. It's really hard for the person who hasn't done anything to help their situation when they could have done something about their situation to explain to them, no, you're playing the role of victim a year later because you could have done something over the past year. Does that make sense? It's really hard to see this in ourselves, which is why I'm sure you're glad somebody else is here to listen to this this morning. But if you're here, this is primarily for you. So let's first look at ourselves. First, let's look at the plank in our own eye before we look at the sawdust in somebody else's eye. I think somebody smart said that at some point along the way. All right. So first I want to talk about the three different characteristics of victim mentality. Uh, number one, I've kind of already touched on it. Uh, when you have a victim mentality, you do not re- take responsibility for anything that you do or anything that happens to you. So somebody who has a victim mentality, they're not going to take responsibility for anything they do or anything that happens to them. Uh, Viktor Frankl talked about this a lot. Viktor Frankl was a, both a psychiatrist as well as a Holocaust survivor. He actually was in Auschwitz. And coming out of that, he says, you know, whether or not we end up in a place of suffering is not our choice. It's going to happen to everybody. However, every one of us has a, and he called it a response ability. In other words, you have the ability to respond. Oftentimes people say, well, you know, you make me so mad. And sometimes I just, I shouldn't say this in the moment, but I say it anyway, because sometimes clinically you can't help but say it after training. You go, well, actually nobody can make you anything. I I warn you in saying that in the moment, but it's true. I can't, you make me so mad, I can't make you anything. You have a choice to respond however you want to respond. Your response is your choice. You have a choice in the matter of how you respond. Um, in Galatians chapter 6, it gives some clarity on this. Galatians chapter 6, it says this, verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and that way you fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? That was to love one another just as I have loved you. So what does it mean to love one another just as I have loved you? It means to carry each other's burdens. And then if you go down a couple of verses later, it says, for each one should carry their own load. And you go, well, wait, wait a minute, which is it? First it says, carry each other's burdens. Then it says, carry your own load. This is the problem I have with the Bible. It's always contradicting itself, and you never really can figure out what God means. Once again, are we almost blaming God in this moment? Anyways, um, so what's the issue here? Well, if you dig a little further, 
and you look at the words that are used, you'll find in the Greek there's two different words used here. Uh, the first one it says, each of you should carry each other's burdens. This is referring to a burden that is too big or too heavy for you to carry, um, which is why I have a cooler up here. Now, if you'll notice, I'll act like it's really heavy. Um, no, it's not. Um, all right. So do you notice how far apart these handles are? But what have you seen people do when they get to the beach, right? What do they do? They come out here. They're, they're intentionally this far apart, and then you're do, they're doing this number right here, right? And if you see somebody doing this number, what should you say to them if you have the ability? Let me help you with that, right? Because this thing was never meant to be carried all the way down to the beach by yourself, okay? You're supposed to come over here. Oh, well, there's not manly to pick it. No, no. It, it was not designed for that purpose. Now, I, unfortunately, I left it back in the back of the room. I got to go get it. Uh, the other word that is used here, if there's a recording, they can just cut this and come back in. All right. The other word when it says, each of you should carry your own um, load, it, it's a specific word that's used to a cargo that a ship can safely carry. The amount of cargo a ship can safely carry. Picture that like your backpack. You ever been on a hike with somebody who doesn't want to carry their backpack? I, I did a, like a 50-mile hike when I was in Boy Scouts as a kid, and there was nothing more annoying than the kid who would complain about their backpack. Oh, can you carry this for me? Can you take some of my stuff? <laughs> you need to carry your own sleeping bag. You need to carry your own clothes. You need to carry your own food. After all, that's how you survive out here. You need to carry your own stuff. And so what he's saying here is, you're responsible to carry your backpack. That's nobody else's responsibility. You need to carry your own backpack. However, there are times in your life where you are legitimately a victim, and that's when you need somebody to help carry your burden or your load. Now, whether you're doing this individually or I can tell you one of the things we do as a church is we support organizations that help people when they're in a situation where they cannot carry their own burden. That's why when you give back a portion of what God's blessed you with, you're supporting local food pantry. You're supporting people in need, a homeless ministry. You're supporting Samaritan House, which helps people who are victims of domestic violence and sexual trafficking. Uh, you are doing that. Why? Because that is a burden that they can't possibly carry on their own. They need somebody to come alongside and help them in that situation. However, when you're talking about your backpack, your responsibilities in life, you need to carry your own weight. You need to carry your own load. You need to carry the things that you're responsible for. Uh, years ago, I did a whole message on the backpack and the trunk. I think it was only back in like 2013 in the unchristian message. And it was the whole thing about people think you're being unchristian when you tell them they need to carry their own backpack. Um, but that's really it. Um, also, people who are in this place where they don't want to take responsibility for anything, they get to the point where they think, what's the use anyway? Why even try? I can't do it, so why even bother with it? Jesus dealt with this one time. There was a guy talked about in John chapter 5. It's a really interesting story. Jesus is there in Jerusalem, and there's a pool called the Pool of Bethsaida, and it's where uh, crippled people would go, um, handicapped people would go, and there was this mythology that the Spirit of God, when it came down near the water, that the water, that's what caused the water to ripple. And if you could be the first one in the pool, the idea was that maybe the Spirit of God would touch you and you would be healed. And so there's a guy who's been coming there for how long you think? 38 years, right? 38 years this guy's been coming to the pool. And Jesus sees this guy and is looking at him. And there's something about Jesus who, which, which pushes Jesus to ask the question, do you want to get well? I mean, what an odd question, right? Like you would think anybody who's, 
you know, had a, a, if you have a health issue yourself, that would be the dumbest question I could possibly ask you right now, right? You'd look at me like, well, of course I want to get well. Yes, right? So Jesus looks at this guy and he asks him, do you want to get well? And what's the answer? Yes. Any of you in your right mind and thinking, the answer would be yes. What's the guy say instead? He goes, I can't. I can't. I can't, sir. I can't. Well, see, because, you know, what happens is every time the water gets stirred, somebody else gets in there before me, and nobody will, nobody will put me in the water to make me be the first one in there. So, you know, I, this is just what happens in life. Now, do you think Jesus understood the guy's disposition, which is why he asked him the question, right? Like, what do you want me to... He doesn't say, what can I do for you? He just simply asks him, do you want to get well? And then Jesus looks at him and he says, get up and take your mat. Do something. Get up and take your mat. Now, I know he's Jesus, so that means the guy gets up and takes his mat, so I'm going to stop the story there. I just want to focus in on the fact that clearly this guy had a victim mentality because he even had to be asked the question, do you actually want to get better? And this may be a question God needs to ask you right now is, do you actually want to get better? Do you actually want your circumstance to change? Or do you like sitting where you're sitting? Right? Do you like being in this state? And the honest to God's truth is, a lot of people begin to like being in that state. Because if I don't have to take responsibility, I don't have to do anything. I can get everybody else to do all my stuff for me. And a lot of people like it when everybody else around them does everything for them. And so do you really want to get well? Do you really want to change? Or do you always want to be the victim, always having to have somebody else come along and help you? Because some people, after the trunk has been carried and they've gotten the help, they're like, you know, wow, this free food thing's pretty nice. Go over to John chapter 6. Jesus feeds 5,000. And what happens after he feeds 5,000? Some people come around going, that free food handout was really nice. Why don't you give us some more of that? And he's like, you don't need free food. Okay, you can go work for a living and get your own food. No, no, man. If you was really all you said you was, you'd be better than Moses. Moses let us eat for 40 years. Why don't you see if you can do something like that? And he goes, okay, you want free food? Eat me. Read it. He says that. He says, eat me and drink my blood. And they're like, eh, this guy's nuts. And they leave. <laughs> now, what is he talking about? He's talking about communion, Right? But basically, it's Jesus' way of saying, get lost. If all you want is for me to carry your backpack, I'm not going to do it. All right. The Bible's fascinating. Read it sometime. Um, all right. So first thing about a victim mentality is they don't take responsibility for what they can do. Uh, second of all, as you would imagine, they begin to blame everybody else for everything else that's happening in their life. Uh, they don't take responsibility. And of course, they blame everybody else for everything that's happened in their life. Now, this begins back with Adam and Eve. Adam, what did you do? I didn't. She did Okay, Eve, what'd you do? I didn't. Snake did, right? It begins with the blaming. Uh, you see this in Saul's life. If you ever read, go back and read, uh, Saul was one of the first kings of Israel, and in 1 Samuel 15, he messes up, and Samuel comes and calls him on it, and he's like, well, it wasn't me. It was, it was the soldiers. It wasn't me. It was the people. They're the ones who did all this. I had nothing to do with it. He's like, you're the king, for goodness sakes. Don't you call the shots around here? Well, it's not me. They, they did it. I didn't know anything that was going on. Blame, 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 blame. Uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, 29 speaks to this. There, this is the, the setting for this is uh, the people have, as collectively as a nation, have been going down a simple path for a long time, and they end up, they're about to get judged. If you know Jeremiah 29, that's where they get carried off into captivity. God basically puts the entire nation in at least a 70-year timeout where he pulls them out, makes them go live in a foreign land for a while as part of their judgment. And Jeremiah looks forward to that time in the future, and he says this, Jeremiah 31, 29. He says, in those days, they'll never be able to say again, well, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and set, our ch- set the children's teeth on edge because everyone will be responsible for their own sins. 
everyone who eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. So what's he saying here? Um, there was this idea that, well, I'm in this situation because of what my parents did. And he says, you know, part of the judgment of God coming in your life right now is that you'd realize that you're responsible for what you've done. When, when you've learned this lesson, you'll come back and say, the, way that I, the reason I am why I, the way I am is not because of something else somebody did, it's because of my own choices along the way. Now, everybody has got a story from their past for why they don't have as equal of a chance as everybody else. Everybody has that. However, for most people, there was something along the way you could have done differently to change the outcome of where you're at right now. Now, once again, I'm not victim blaming. I'm not victim shaming. Go back to my early disclaimer. What I'm talking about here is a lot of people have had a lot of adversity. I remember one of the things somebody said to me that changed the direction of my life. And they said, Steve, you're not the first person to go through this. A lot of other people have lost their spouse and they're handling this a lot better than you are right now. That hit. Because I could go back to that you know, victim card again and again and again and again, but it wasn't until I said, okay, what can I do differently about my situation to be able to change the outcome I have going forward? What is it that I can change? I need the wisdom to know the difference. I can't change what has happened, but what can I change about how I respond to what happened going forward? Because I can either continue to blame everybody else for my situation, what was me, or I can take ownership of what I can take ownership for and move forward in a different direction. Um, so in Jeremiah 31, they were wanting to, repl- to blame the previous generation. The question I want to ask you is, is, who are you blaming for your current situation? And to what extent is their actions responsible for where you're at? And to what extent is your response to their actions responsible for where you're at? Uh, next of all, uh, so we talk about victim mentality as Nick refer- personal responsibility. It blames other, other people everything that happened. Uh, and then next of all, it disports, distorts our view of reality. Uh, after a while, uh, when you live in this state for a while, you begin to see everything as a negative. You look for the bad in everything. Everything is just sort of a negative outlook. Uh, there's a guy in, one of Jesus' disciples is named Thomas. Anybody know what his nickname is? Doubting Thomas, right? Everybody kind of knows him about Doubting Thomas. And the reason for that is after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, Jesus showed up and appeared to the disciples in the upper room. Now, only 10 of them were there. Obviously, you know, Judas, not there. Well, Thomas wasn't there either. We don't know why. Maybe he was out getting a sandwich. I don't know, but he wasn't there. And can you imagine, like, missing that day, right? Of all the days to miss church, that's the day you miss, the day Jesus shows up. And so the other disciples are all talking about this, and Thomas is like, I'm not buying it. I don't believe it. Unless I see him with my own eyes, unless I put my hand in where his scars are, I'm not going to believe it really is him. Maybe it was a ghost. Maybe it's your imagination. I don't know. I'm having a hard time believing this. And so because of that, he was named Doubting Thomas. Well, What's interesting about Thomas is there's actually another story about Thomas, but to find that, you've got to go back over to John chapter 11. It's a chapter that's most notably known for having the shortest verse in the New Testament of Jesus wept. Well, what leads up to the Jesus wept moment is Lazarus' death. And when Jesus is talking with his disciples about that in John chapter 11, he says, hey, Lazarus is not doing well, and we need to go back and see him. Now, Lazarus lives just outside of Jerusalem. So it's down in the south, just outside of Jerusalem. Well, the last time Jesus was down there, the disciples bring up, they're like, you know, hey, I know you're wanting to go back there, but Rabbi, just a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you really wanting to go back there again? Now, where Lazarus lives was so close to Jerusalem, it's actually where Jesus stays during his last week when he's there in Jerusalem, ministering in Jerusalem, the last week of his life. He actually stays there at Lazarus' house along with Mary and Martha, his two sisters. So it's that close to Jerusalem, and of course in Jerusalem are the religious leaders who are trying to kill him. And so his disciples are like, 
we were just there a couple days ago and they tried to kill you. You really want to go back? And Jesus says to them, he says, listen, uh, this is uh, John 11, verse 9. There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely because they can see and they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, so now I will go back and wake him up. We'll pause for a second. What is he alluding to here? Maybe something you've experienced. If you've been in a, maybe a large city uh, during the day, you're fine. You walk around, that's wonderful, and you get to go see the sights. But what happens at nighttime in that same large city on that same street? Don't you find like you walk a little bit faster, right? You're a little bit worried about what might happen at night. What Jesus is trying to explain to them is, guys, listen, I'm the light of the world. When you walk with me, you always have the light with you. Like it's, it's like walking through a street in the middle of the daytime because I am with you. What do you have to fear if I am with you? That's what he's trying to get across. Now, when I'm not with you, I understand that you can be frightful. But listen, I'm with you. Yeah, they try to kill me, but am I dead? No, I am not. Why? Because they're not going to take me before it's my time. That's what he's trying to communicate to them. So he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep, so I'll go wake him up. The disciples say back, Jesus, if he's sleeping, let him sleep. He'll get up when he's ready, right? Read it. He'll get soon, right? He'll get better soon, right? They thought that Jesus simply meant that Lazarus is sleeping. But it says, no, Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he tells them plainly, guys, Lazarus is dead. Not sleeping, dead. I was trying to be, you know, metaphorically polite. The guy's dead, okay? And he says, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Then Thomas said to his fellow disciples, all right, well, come on, guys. We might as well go die with them. What is Thomas thinking? Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. We're going to go see him. We're going to go see him at a place where people are trying to kill us. So if we're going to go see Lazarus, where are we going to see Lazarus? In the grave. That's what Thomas is thinking. Why would Thomas think that? Because he has a negative disposition on life, right? Jesus is trying to say, you're going to see something you're going to believe. Like, you're going to see something amazing. And Thomas is like, amazing, I didn't hear that in your message. I just heard that we're going to go there and die. Well, if we're going to go die, fine. Well, I'll go die with you. That's what negative disposition does. It's that same negative disposition that when the, his disciple friends all tell him, hey, we saw Jesus risen. What's he say? Nope, couldn't possibly be. Why did he become doubting Thomas? Because the guy had a negative disposition to begin with. And over time, what can happen is you can develop a negative disposition where everything is a result to go to the place of victimhood. Because every single day, you're going to face adversity, right? There's going to be something that happens every single day. And if you want to, you can make it out to where the world's out to get you, everybody's out to get you, nothing good ever happens in your life because everything in this life is always stacked against you. I'm sure everything happens for a reason, and the reason is, is because God doesn't like me, and he's forgotten about me, doesn't want me to ever have anything good. That's why everything happens for a reason, and that's the reason. No, Thomas. No. All right, so that's what victim mentality is. What's the result of victim mentality? What's the issue here? Uh, well, as you might imagine, if you're going to never take responsibility and expect everybody else to carry your backpack, and if you're going to blame everybody else for everything that's happened, uh, number one, your victim mentality will damage all your relationships. It will lead to damaged relationships. I mean, nobody likes to be blamed for everything that happens in your life. Um, as you can imagine, I'm going to guess that Adam and Eve had some marital issues after that whole scene, Right? You know, what's this all blaming me all about thing? I mean, you can imagine that probably happened. Um, there's another issue that comes up with victim mentality in that oftentimes what happens when somebody's in this state for a long time, they feel threatened whenever anything bad happens to somebody else. It's a very odd thing that will happen, right? 
So something bad will happen to somebody else, and, and there's a risk that that's going to take the spotlight off of me and my problem if everybody is now concerned about them and their problem. And, and, and who's going to have time to carry my backpack if you see somebody else has a trunk that needs to be carried? So, so we need to get rid of their issue, and, and, and th- th- this is actually a bigger deal. Like, well, well yeah, you know, they, 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 at least what happened to them wasn't multiple times like it happened to me. Well, yeah, well, at least they didn't lose everything like I lost everything. So there's always this tendency to try to one-up somebody, to, to downplay other people's suffering, because if somebody else is suffering and somebody else is in need, well, then that's going to take away sympathy or support or help that I want to get out of everybody else around me. And after a while, it gets exhausting. It gets tiring. That's why it damages your relationships. And so people who constantly go to this place, they just bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship because they're always trying to find somebody else who carries their backpack and somebody else to blame. And eventually, as they say, you've run out of people to carry your backpack and you run out of people to blame. Uh, Next thing that happens as a result of this is it is impossible to be happy or successful when you have a victim mentality. It is impossibly happy or successful when you have a victim mentality. Now, if you have a negative disposition every single day, how could you possibly be happy anyway? If all you do is focus on every negative thing, I don't like negative things either. I can't, this whole thing about, you know, where God says to be joy, you know, have joy in the midst of your trials, that's a hard thing and takes some work. Our natural tendency in the midst of trials is to not be happy about it. Worse yet, if I can be joyful in the midst of a trial knowing God's at work, well, if I don't think God's at work and I just think God's out to get me, I'm not going to be happy about the whole thing. It's very difficult to be happy when you're going through a difficult time and you're blaming everybody else around you. Your relationships are breaking down. People are walking away from you. That's a natural consequence to the fact that you have this victim mentality. Uh, On top of that, when you think that every situation happening in your life is beyond your control, there's no way to succeed, right? The only way that you could possibly succeed is if you miraculously got a really good string of luck and everything fell into place for you, which is never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Uh, on top of that, God gave us responsibilities. And to reject that is to reject who God made us and how God made us. After all, he put humanity here to subdue the earth, to rule over it. And when I reject even that responsibility or any other responsibility, I cannot possibly be happy if I'm rejecting God's role for my life. If God has called me to heroically face the challenges in my life and I reject that role, it is impossible for you to be happy while rejecting responsibility in your life. It is impossible to be happy while you reject responsibility for your life. You will never meet a happy person who does not take personal responsibility for things in life. Which leads to the final thing, and that is it blinds us to our own sin and our need for God. When you play the role of victim mentality, it blinds you to your own sin and your need for God. There's an interesting story. This happened several times in Scripture. The one I want to go to, though, is over in Joshua chapter 7. The the setting for Joshua chapter 7 is, in Joshua chapter 6, they take the city of Jericho. Now, um, let me fill you back in on Israelite history. Uh, They're slaves in Egypt. Moses says, let my people go. They go across the Red Sea. They get over to the edge of the promised land. Moses passes away. Now Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. To do that, they got to cross over the Jordan River. They cross over the Jordan River. The very first city that you face as you cross over the Jordan River from from the side is Jericho. Jericho is a very strong fortified city. If you know the song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, 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 and the walls came tumbling down it's not exactly accurate. Um, God really did all the fighting. Joshua didn't have to do any fighting because God fought the battle for him. And one of the principles we see throughout God's word, which applies here, is God continually says, uh, the first of everything is mine. Honor me with the first fruits of whatever you have, and I will bless you. So in other words, the very first things that you get in life, God says, 
they belong to me. And so this was no different. This is the very first city that they faced. God was going to fight the battle for them to show his mighty power. And so what he says is, instead of going in there and taking all the loot, all the bounty from this city, all of that belongs to me. Don't take anything for yourself. It all belongs to me. Now, after they take out Jericho, which was a you know, overwhelming success, uh, the next city that they uh, have along the way to face is the city of Ai. Now, this would be the equivalent of, you've just taken out, picture it's the Civil War, and the North is coming down uh, to take over the stronghold area. Now, picture you've taken out Yorktown, Chesapeake, Newport News, uh, Virginia Beach. You, you've just conquered all of that with your big army. And then somebody says, all right, what about Pungo? we don't need to send the whole army to Pungo, right? We'll just send a couple thousand guys, they can take care of Pungo, and then they can come back after a, a nice afternoon, right? Well, so they send a few thousand guys over to the city of Ai, and they get routed. 34 of them die, and they come running back with a tail between their legs. And here's what Joshua says. Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and remained there till evening. And the elders, and they all did the same, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Then Joshua says, ah, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring us across the Jordan just to deliver us into the hands of our enemies? If only we'd just been content to stay over there on the other side of Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and all the other people in this country are going to hear about it. They're going to surround us. They're going to wipe us out from the earth. What then is going to be made of your great name? Anybody think he sounds like a victim in this moment, right? Why, 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 God, why? Notice, what was the title he gives God at the beginning of it? That's a clue. Oh, sovereign Lord. That's a word for, oh, God, who's in control of all things. And if you're in control of all things, then why did you let this happen to me? Anybody ever ask that question? Uh, oh, God, why? If you control all things and know all things and, 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 are, and are powerful over all things, why did this happen? Why did you let this happen? Why did you even bring us here in the first place? Why do I have to be in Virginia Beach? Why did you bring me here in the first place, God? Why, 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 why? And God says back, shut up. <laughs> That's my interpretation. He actually says, <laughs> see if it's not what it sounds like. He goes, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Like, like what, what are you, get up. Get, this isn't a me thing, this is a you thing. He says, y'all have sinned. You violated my covenant, which I commanded you to keep. Some of y'all have taken some of the devoted things from Jericho. You've stolen them. You've lied about them. You've put them away in your own possessions. That's why you can't stand up your enemies. Y'all turned your back on me, and I've turned my back on you. Okay. Why, God? Why, why, why? It's all your fault. It's all your fault. And God comes back. Okay. Don't try to pray your way out of something you behaved your way into, Okay get up on your feet, do something about your own sin, then come back and we'll talk. But to come up here and to blame me for what's happened to you, uh-uh, I'm not having any of that. Now, let me just pause for a second, go back to my initial disclaimer. I'm not saying that every bad thing that's happened to you is a result of your sin. That's not what I'm saying here. What I am saying, there are times where what's happened to us is a result of our sin, and we blame God and everybody else for what's happened because we won't take responsibility for our own actions. And that's exactly what's going on here. And one of the results of a victim mentality is we will begin to blame God. It'll separate us even further from God. And it's impossible to have a right relationship with God while living in a victim mentality. Because when we have a victim mentality, we're blind to our own faults, we're blind to our own failures, and most importantly, before God, we're blind to our sin before God. And this is where Joshua was. God, it's all your fault. All this has happened. God goes, no, no, no. This is your fault. This is on you. You need to address the sin in your life. Then we can have a right relationship and move forward. 
And so one of the questions I want to ask you as well now is, to what extent is the things that have happened to you in your life because of your own sin? And what is it that's happening right now that you have to look at and say, God, this is what I need to repent of as I move forward to be in a right relationship with you. So how do I do this? What, what, what do I need to do? Uh, well, the obvious thing, I don't have time for this, but number one is take responsibility for what it is that is of yours. Uh, God, grant me the ability to change the things I can, the wisdom to know which ones are the things I can change. I need to take responsibility for what's on me, whether it's a sin before you or the actions that I've done or the response that I've had. Uh, the other uh, key takeaway from this, and you're going to see this this week and next week, is be thankful for what you have. You know, when you have that negative disposition and all you're focused on is everything you don't have, everything bad has happened, pause for a moment and ask yourself, what is it that God has done in my life? Where is it that I am seeing God at work? Uh, who is it that's come alongside me to help me carry my trunk? What can I be thankful for as far as who's helped me ca- uh, carry my burden? What can I be thankful for as far as the opportunities God has provided for me to be able to have somebody to carry my burden? Now, my backpack, I've got to take responsibility for However, for this right here, I need to thank God for the opportunities I have to have people come alongside me. And so this combination of take responsibility and begin to be grateful for the things you have are two of the primary ways to get out of the victim mentality and the victim mindset. We join us as we close our time in prayer. Father, I thank you for your grace over us, Lord, that as we drift in and out of this victim state in our life, there are times, Lord, where we are genuinely a victim, whether it be of a natural disaster global economic crisis, or just the evil, the villainous actions of somebody in our life. Father, as we've come out of that, as we seek to be a survivor of those situations in our life, may we begin to ask ourselves the questions of, what is my responsibility? What is still within my own control? What choices do I have through this all? Help me, Father, see where it is that you're working that I might be moved to a heart of gratitude. Help me be able to decipher what is a burden that's too big for me to bury and, or carry and what is a load, Father, which I can carry myself. But above all, Lord, help me recognize my own sin that I might make confession of that before you and be back in a right relationship. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.